Welcome to the Hello Blink Show. With the spread of the coronavirus, Harris and I wanted to make a special episode talking about the impact to businesses, specifically looking at small and open source businesses. We want to go through some of the marketing efforts that you can employ, things that we've seen, what's worked and what hasn't, and how to handle some of the difficulties in getting raw materials, manufacturing, and what to do if you start seeing a drop-off in customers. In addition, we want to look at some of the opportunities that might show up, not to downplay the emergency situation, but as a potential silver lining and what you should be doing as an entrepreneur. Let's get started. Welcome to the practical podcast for technical people who want to start their own company. From founding to building your business, we're here to help. I'm Sean Hemel. And I'm Harris Kenny. This is the Hello Blink Show. All right, welcome, Harris. This is a special episode that we're doing. We are almost in a state of self-quarantine. I know that I am sitting at home, not going anywhere, specifically avoiding going out. So how are you doing? How are you handling this? I am doing the same thing and I'm doing well overall. I am a little antsy. I'm a very extroverted person. So there were a couple of conferences that I chose not to go to and, and we'll talk about that more later and some like events that I was hoping, looking forward to going to that I'm not going to do. Um, but in general, I would say I'm good, good spirits and working with some clients uh, and I'll talk about this in the episode has gotten me kind of the other side of this. I'm in good space. I'm very kind of focused on like what we can do, what proactive steps can be taken. And so in general, I would say I'm more encouraged a few days ago. uh, This is uh, Saturday, March 14th. A few days ago, I was more discouraged, more concerned. Um, I'm still concerned, but I'm not feeling as down. Makes sense. And I know that you and I are in a very privileged position that we can get a lot of work done from home. And that is a very nice situation for us, but I understand that that's not the case for everybody. And specifically, I know we want to talk about small businesses and what they can be doing, especially people affected in the manufacturing world, right? If you're expecting shipments from China and those have been uh, curtailed, what can you do? Absolutely. And, you know, we're privileged also in terms of just our demographics of our age and the neighborhoods we live in. I mean, we're, we're in a good spot. And so I think, you know, also, what can we do proactively to like be a part of getting to the other side of this and helping people out? Because um, it's one thing to self-quarantine. It's one thing to like take care of your business. But it, I think I read a Kaiser Family Foundation survey that found that over 60%, I think close to 70% of uh, the American workforce really can't easily do remote work. And you know, if single parents watching, like schools are out in a lot of different places. They're closed in Denver. Four states so far have closed the entire school systems. So, you know, I think do no harm is a good step one, but I think once you're not doing harm, it, there's a need to positively do good. Um, and I think the tech industry and entrepreneurs and business owners have a unique leverage in terms of their ability to like make a difference. And so hopefully people don't just feel like, oh, I'm doing everything I can because I'm sitting at home. You know, I think we have to do more than that. Yeah. And I don't have kids but I can't imagine people with kids who are now home, they have to be there for their kids and you still have to work, you know, a full eight hours, even if you can work remotely. You know, you're talking about, oh, I have to homeschool or at least keep an eye on my kids while they do remote work and then and then I have to get work done. So, you know, that's a lot. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I'll talk about some things that I'm seeing at the local level um, as we get into it. Um, but yeah, I think that's a pretty good overview. 
uh, of where we're at. And I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we've been seeing these big brand responses. And, you know, Sean, I want to lean on your experience with this. The really, I mean, I guess it's a form of content marketing, what a lot of brands are doing, which is like sending these emails to their big lists. And I've heard a lot of people on Twitter saying how it reminds them of the uh, GDPR privacy policy emails uh, that they were getting a few years ago. And But really the way this message is being delivered by bigger companies and corporations is an email to a big list, probably every contact they've got in their address book and they're sending them through, you know, I don't know, MailChimp or whatever platform they use for their emails. And so that seems to be one of the big business responses so far has been sending an email signed from the CEO. And that happens a lot. Anytime there's some big event, I see my inbox is filled with those types of emails, right? You know, what is it, five paragraphs about how the CEO, whether it's an emergency or some new development. And, you know, I think from a marketing perspective, it does show that the company is aware of the changing in the world and what's going on. So I think, you know, to me, that's kind of a bare minimum, right? Send out something that shows that your company is aware of the changes in the world. Um, that's, I, I would call that a bare minimum. But I want to ask you, what have you seen that's worked and what have you seen that's not worked? Well, I think the examples that in general have impressed me and I think have been well received by other people are the organizations that have been really responsive whether that's making a decision like the NBA where they suspended the season, which was a pretty significant move, a pretty big move, um, or you know, Zoom has been making their software available in different contexts. I know that they just rolled out a big education initiative. I don't know the details of it. So you know, there's a case where it's a preventative measure on the NBA side or on the Zoom side, a proactive measure. Now, obviously, they're going to benefit from getting a lot more people on their platform, downloading their software and using it. But there's also heavy load on their servers and there's challenges associated with extending, you know, doing something good. Those are two on the positive sense to me. Have any others stuck out to you where you thought that was well handled by them? So one of the ones that surprised me the most was Comcast, at least in a few states, has been offering people of or families with low income the ability to have internet for free. And I think this helps tremendously with a lot of students who have to stay at home and are going online. So, you know, now we consider the internet somewhat of a utility, um, like just like we most of us can't in America, you know, a lot of it's hard to survive without say electricity or running water. We can't fathom that we've always had that. So what do you do without the internet if you're supposed to take all these online classes? And I think, you know, good for Comcast and some of these communities for stepping up. I, I will say something that has crossed my mind. I, I wanted to run this by you as an idea because then you can, you, can, you can be my sounding board to say if this is a good idea or not or if it's you know, in poor taste. And I want to talk about some of these in poor taste ones. Um, but my idea was to say I've got this, I've got this class on Udemy that is an you know, intro to Arduino. And I was considering it making it free for anybody to, who like direct messages me or something, right? Hey, and, and posting that to my mail list, posting that to Twitter and saying, hey, if you direct message me on Twitter, I'll give you a link. Um, this, they, they limited the number of free links I could create, so I have to control that number somehow. Um, but that way it, it, it allows people to take one more step and just say, hey, send me a direct message. I'll reply with a, you know, a link to, this, to this, learning, well, this online learning course and it'll be free for you. And it's like, hey, you're stuck at home, you wanna learn something new, you can do most of this course online. Do you consider that to be in good taste or is that you know, trying to uh, drum up 
business in a in a poor kind of way. Well, if you're giving it to them for free, I don't think that's in poor taste. You know, I think if it's opt in, and if someone's interested, they take it and they don't get charged for it. I, I think that's, I think that's perfectly fine. I mean, it, it would be one thing if it was like, oh well, I'll give you like this free trial, but in order to really learn it, you have to pay for the whole class. You know, or it's like, hey, you get the intro, you know, video. Uh, which gives you, you know, 15% of it. But if you really want to learn it, after I've given you this freebie 15%, you have to pay me the rest of the 85%. That, I think, would be a little weird. <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, I think, you know, there's examples of things that are really clearly not good. Like, you know, conferences that are still going on without really doing what is the responsible thing, which is canceling. You know, I think a lot of organizations have been very proactive. Like there, and we'll get more into the gray areas. And I think we're talking about to me is pretty clear. But you know, if you're if you have reservations, maybe it is gray. If you're listening, tell us what you think. Is Sean a horrible person or not? <laughs> I don't think he's a horrible person. Um, at least not for this reason. And <laughs> thanks. Well, you know, I just want to be specific. I don't want to be too broad. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't know what I, I do behind the uh, behind scenes in the podcast. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but you know, this, I just saw it. Now, this may change by the time this goes live. But as far as I understand, this event's going on this weekend. Uh, Varsity Sports, who is the company behind Cheer, basically, in this country, if you've seen the Netflix documentary Cheer, um, you know, this company essentially has a monopoly on competitions. And they have very uh, strict all sorts of different ways that they shake down these families and these athletes to pay for uniforms. They have to stay in certain hotels. They can only watch through these like paid platforms they you know parents aren't aren't able to like film their own kids in competitions and you know so basically it's a monopoly and they're shaking everybody down and uh and they've got this like big competition and they're proceeding they are not calling it off and uh you know you've got a lot of people you know where it's like oh do you want to go support your kid well then you should show up you know i think there's situations in conferences people go to events because there's like monetary opportunity for them. They can meet new people, help grow their business or, you know, support their children competing in something. And so it's really hard for someone to independently say, no, I'm not going to go to that. And so if you are the host of that type of event, you, I think, owe it to yourself to like deleverage this situation because it's much harder, you know, people already are making these sacrifices to go there. And so it's, it's not just easy for them to say no. It's not like they were just invited to a party that they didn't feel like going to in the first place. Um, and so I think we've seen examples where that's not being handled well. Uh, but examples where it is being handled well, we just attended yesterday the Open Hardware Summit, and they went to an all-virtual format, and we were going to attend that. Uh, I was curious what you thought about how the virtual, you and I were messaging each other back and forth for, you know, two weeks before the conference, wondering what to do. And then they stepped up and they had the courage to say, we're going to virtual to take everybody out of that position of having to decide. Um, I was curious, like how you thought that went as a, as a participant, as someone who's been to that event before and who knows that community really well. So funny story, that was actually my first time attending. In the past, when they've come to Denver, I would the, the I think it was twice, once or twice, I went to their after-party dinner. So it was a bunch of them. They'd all gather. They they went to dinner, and I I was there because I was living in color at the time. Um, but we had enough people from SparkFun going. I think we had you know one or two people giving talks. Um, and so for me, it was just a okay. We have enough people from SparkFun going. I didn't need to be there as much as I wanted to be there. 
and I was able to catch up and get the benefit of meeting people after hours at the dinner. But this was my first time going, and you know, I thought for a last-minute virtual event, they did a really good job. You know, they had the MC on there, you know, leading people in, you know, bringing people into the YouTube streaming. Um, they had comments going, and they had a Discord server going where people could hang out and chat, and I thought it was very well done. Um, you know, it was probably a last-minute scramble, but kudos go out to all of the organizers for the Open Hardware Summit. Absolutely. And, you know, it's tough. Like, if you're an organization that runs an event and an organization is dependent on, like, an annual event for your revenue, like, I understand that I'm sympathetic to the fact that it's scary to be in that position. And there's a lot of exposure, uh, you know, cash flow risk. And, you know, Oshawa is a nonprofit. They do not have a lot of money. But I think people were very supportive. I, it didn't look like very many, if any, sponsors backed out. I mean, the sponsor slide looked very full to me. And I think the attendees were very grateful, too. Um, so I think people are rewarding that courage for smaller organizations. And I think this is, we'll talk about how this applies to businesses in a little bit, but I think people are rewarding that courage. That seemed to be the attitude in the rooms. I mean, people seemed pretty engaged to me, didn't you think? Yeah, there were a lot of people, you know, both putting out emojis when, you know, as a, as a substitute for clapping, they were asking good questions and they were chatting on the back end on, on Discord, you know, getting good advice, talking to each other, much like you would in a conference. I think there's still a barrier there because you can't beat face-to-face you know, I think you have a lot of side conversations that go on, a lot of meeting, a lot of greeting, a lot of, you know, like being able to pick up on social cues that you can't normally do in virtual spaces. But I think for a virtual event, yeah, it was still really well done. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought, and it was cool because it was also really easy to like see what an organization is all about because you're at your computer. So, you know, like Applied Ion Systems is a really interesting company doing open hardware around like space uh, and you know, I, I was able to, during the talk, pull up their website and look at what they're doing, which I thought was pretty neat. And so the, the format does enable activities that you wouldn't get in person. And so how do you take advantage of a different format and not just replicate what you normally do online? Yeah, and I, I'm kind of curious, you know, a lot of these people at the last minute had to transition to an online format for their presentations. And, you know, the, all, I think all the presenters did a very good job of doing that. I do wonder if you know that a conference is coming up or if you're, say you're a business that's hosting an event and it's going to be online and you know that and you have time to prepare, what can you do to create a more engaging, better presentation for an online event, right? Are there activities you can encourage people to do? Like, oh, I know you're at computer, so go look this up. You know, you don't have to pay attention to me 100%. You know, put me in the background and go, go do this thing. Mm, yeah. Absolutely. It's, right. Is there another way to present it and be more interactive? I don't know. I'm, I'm brainstorming now that we have this notion of like, oh, all these events and classes for a lot of universities are going online. Can you can you do a better lecture online with the tools available? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, you know, live polling is another one um, that I've I've played around with one time in a, in a presentation. I thought it was pretty good. The presentation was probably a little bit too small to take advantage of it. Um, but I think you've played around with live polls before, haven't you? I used a, one called Poll Everywhere. I got from Brian at SparkFun, who, who was a big proponent of it. And especially if you're going to, you know, say you're invited to talk to a college or a high school. And, you know, a lot of times these students are like, okay, whatever, guest speaker, this is going to be an easy class. And they kind of just start messing around on their phones or whatever. And I think inserting these types of polls has been incredibly useful. And the few times I've done it, 
the teachers, especially if it's like a high school, the teacher was always like, I don't know about this because it's an anonymous thing where they can give you responses or, you know, for me, I do a lot of open-ended questions. So I'll be like, hey, ask me a question or what do you think about this? And the students can post anonymously and the teacher's always like, I don't know about this. Totally. <laughs> and I was, but I, what I, I tell the class, I'm like, look, this is anonymous. If I see something rude, offensive or off topic, we're done right? You've, you've just killed the fun for the whole class. So please don't do that. And I've had, I've had students get silly and off topic. And in which case, like that usually takes five, 10 minutes into the polling session, in which case I'm like, okay, we're, we're done with this. And that's kind of expected, especially for like seventh graders or eighth graders. I expect some of that. But for the most part, it's been very successful. I don't, I've never had like an offensive thing. I've never had, you know, some student, you know, say something totally out there. I mean, I get random questions like, do you prefer PC or Xbox? And you're just like, yo, that's off topic, but, but you know, obviously, go back to the on obviously PC. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to answer that because I play both. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, at least it's students being engaged with the speaker. I, 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 you know, it's off topic, sure, but it's like, oh, they're actually taking an interest in me as a person. So, it's not bad. It's just a little off topic. Yeah, but yeah. You, yeah it's, you've been asked worse things, I'm sure. Oh, absolutely. Uh, YouTube comments are a specific breeding ground for fun comments um, and questions. <laughs> if Go check out some of those if you want a good time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Speaking of saying horrible things, we have a Discuss integration on our website. So if you do have feedback and you want to ask Sean about whether he prefers PC or Xbox, go to helloblinkshow.com, go to the episode, and you can comment and ask him that question or you can tell us what you prefer. That's new. I don't think we've talked about it much yet, um, but there's a really easy integration for that. And so specifically because other platforms can be kind of bad, we decided that that would be a really good place to get feedback. So very unintentional. We did not coordinate that plug, but it flowed very smoothly. So I, I think. So if you have comments and they're not horrible, uh, you should go to helloblinkshow.com, go to the episode and tell us what you think. Uh, and Harris and I are administrators to that. So any, I don't know, off topic we would probably handle because sometimes they're fun, but anything that's offensive, rude, or obviously spam, we're just deleting. <laughs> yes, Banhammer will be used. And it was interesting. I thought Oshawa handled that very well. If for an organization or a small business, if you've never done this before, there is, that comes up. And especially if you make your link public, Oshawa made the Discord link public. There were like spammers that found it and were posting random things. But the there were enough moderators that were able to clean that up that it wasn't a problem. Um, but I think also one thing that's interesting, I've never done this live streaming, but I've seen videos of people who do live streaming and the way that they like are getting comments from the chat box and are responding and they say like thanks to people who like tip them money and things like that i do think that it's important to recognize like and i think this is sort of putting a, a ribbon on the points you were making earlier about the opportunities in this format it is different and it is hard and the people who do it really well are good they have like practiced a lot so if you see someone switching to an online format and or you're switching and you've seen someone doing it and it looks easy, it's probably a lot harder than you think. And the people who do that have like a lot of practice, they have a whole setup, um, they're familiar with the tools. Like, cause it can be overwhelming, I think, when you've got like a lot of stuff flying at you and you're trying to stay focused and you're not getting those cues from people around you. So like set a low bar for yourself and know that you're like doing the right thing by changing your format. Because like right now that's what's needed because of what's happening in terms of public health. 
but know that it's it might be hard, it might be embarrassing, you might make a mistake, um, but on net, you're doing the right thing and you have to be taking steps to get the word out and meet new people and grow what you're doing. So you, you've got to do something. It's better than just sitting home and hoping that everything's going to work out, you know, for your business or your side project. You've got to try it, but it might not go perfectly. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, I'd like to switch focus now into what can small businesses do, right? You know, a lot of, we see the market suffering in general, and a lot of times we see manufacturing drop in cases like this, where if say you have a manufacturer in China that you're working with and people on the other side of the world cannot get into the shop to make you a thing, right? Uh, I don't think any amount of small business loans, no amount of testing kits, um, which are all good things for helping people stay afloat, they cannot physically produce a motor that you need to continue creating and selling whatever your product is. What can small businesses do to help alleviate some of those problems? Yeah, and I think also what's challenging is that it's a, a moving target, right? And so I think two months ago, the main worry was, especially for hardware businesses, a lot of these components are made in China, um, if not full assembly, at least some of the components are sub-assemblies. But now that's shifting, and now it's, uh, now it's U.S., it's Europe. And so I think it's really hard to plan for. Um, I think what I've seen is people increasing lead times and trying to preemptively purchase and have some extra inventory on hand. But you can only do that if you have the cash in the bank. Um, you know, I think that's a real challenge. I think having your business model concentrated and making money in one area, like if you're just hardware, you don't have any services or any software revenue, or maybe like some accessories or consumables, um, I think your risk is much higher. And so if, if you're in it in the short run, you might need to like pick up a consulting project or do something different to help get from here to there. And then in the medium term, think about the risk to your business if you make all of your money in one type of way. Um, but in the short term, you might have to get really scrappy because if you can't get access to something and you're stuck on a single supplier and you can't find another one, like stepper motors or something I think of, like I don't think there's stepper motors made in the United States and they're like a crucial component for 3D printers and a lot of other machinery and equipment. Um, so that's, that's kind of what I think, but it's hard. If you're a hardware company, you're in a tight spot there potentially. Yeah. Are there places people can go to leverage, say buying locally from local distributors, even if it means paying a little extra just so you can you know, meet production quotas? I think that's a great call for sure. I mean, there's definitely going to be different distributors and resellers and channels that might have access. You know, you may be also willing to maybe get a slightly different component to do that one thing. And I think if you explain that to your customers, like, hey, we have to change this component, um, I think they would understand based on the circumstances. Um, I think having, you know, but but ultimately, if the manu if there's one manufacturer of a thing, and this is coming up in a, there's a number of different areas in the economy where we're realizing there's a sold single sole supplier for certain things. You can buy it through different channels, but if there's only one factory floor that that widget is coming off of and there's no substitutes, you are in a potentially a very tight spot. So what can you do as a small business owner to, you know, you, like, like you said, you can, you can shift some of your business focus. Like if you have to shift to consulting or, or making content, um, I think that's possible, but that's probably more of a long run solution, you know, because it takes a lot of time. We're, we're looking at a situation where I hope this doesn't last more than a few weeks and to say, oh, I'm going to shift my focus to, um, you know, I'm going to create an online class like that takes months to ramp up. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and you may not have the skill set in house to be able to do that. So I think that's that's a heavy pivot, and I don't know if businesses can lean on that. If they if you can, great, find ways to leverage it and make a little extra cash on the side. You know, maybe maybe you partner with somebody um, and do what's needed. But you know, maybe maybe taking one of these new disaster relief loans might be helpful for say making payroll. Yeah. Yeah, because I mean, you know, there are certain industries that are being very heavily affected by this, like hospitality and tourism. And, you know, I mean, they're just having to make tough decisions and many of them are having to let people go. Uh, and I think that's where it's a little worrying to think about what are the big effects going to be of this over time if those continue. You know, the cr- cruise ship industry. Um, airlines. Many, airlines. I mean, yeah, I read that Delta has responded and they were just one example. They've reduced their capacity more than they did after uh, the attacks on September 11th. And that was obviously a major, major event for the airline industry. Um, I, I was reading an article about a company that runs like a, these bumper car. Uh, it's like a bumper car like racetrack. And they do a lot of like corporate events and things like that. And people are canceling because of the concern, concerns about germs and things like that. And they had to let go half of their staff. Um, but I do think that those types of businesses are potentially in a different position than someone who has the manufacturing vulnerabilities. I think to touch on what you said, I think getting loans, getting access to capital, there's ways to potentially stave off having to make those decisions. And it does look like other parts of the world, South Korea, Japan, Singapore, Hong Kong, China are starting to kind of wrap their arms around this and get to the other side of it. And so it might just be that you just need to survive, get through just a little bit, and then it's not going to be 12 months. One client of mine said, you know, it's not like a meteor hit the earth and that we like lost a continent or something like that. Like, we are finding ways to fight this. And so it might just require, you know, some some guts and hanging in there. Yeah, and it might be, uh, some of it might be cutting costs in some ways. Find, find ways you can trim off some of the costs, just even if it's just in the short term. Um, you know, and I think this is a, you know, I think this is something that if you're a business owner or you're a CEO, I think this is an appropriate time to practice good interpersonal management with your people. Um, I would say, you know, don't necessarily try to panic people, you know, because we, we want to say don't panic, but in the same sense, be honest, be, be upfront and be, you know, this is a scary situation we're looking at, right? We may be asked to all stay home and find ways to work remotely. And in some cases that might not work for our business. So I need everybody's help. I'm open to ideas. Um, if you're worried, come talk to me or, you know, Keep your keep your six foot social distance and call me or right whatever it might be, but I think this is a good opportunity to be op- be open, be upfront with your people about um, what's going on. Don't try to hide the fact that oh everything is fine. Um, I think that's the wrong response. I think the other end of the spectrum is also incorrect in saying like oh my goodness this is an emergency you know this is a catastrophe this is horrible you know that's that's not a great response either. Just just be upfront. In that, in saying that, like, look, this might hurt a little bit. We're going to get through this. It'll be okay, um, and we all need to work together. And I think we can get through it. And as someone who's self-employed, how do you apply that? I agree with everything you just said. How do you apply that to yourself in your own business as your own CEO? How have you been thinking about your own self-care? In in the sense of interpersonal, or in the sense of uh, like businesses and working with clients. Just like for you personally, just how have you been handling it? Because like, you know, because oh. if you're working for yourself, like you don't have anyone to go to, right? It, which is tough. You're, it, it can be very isolating. 
Yeah, uh, so I'm a super introvert, so I'm waking up in a utopia where nobody goes outside and you know everybody's sitting inside and I don't have to interact with people. This is great, um, which is actually kind of a lie. I, I'm, I'm a super introvert, so I could stay inside for two weeks and be fine. Um, I do need some interpersonal interaction. I like I do swing dancing. That that is a social interaction thing that I look forward to every week. Actually, I've been taking tango lessons recently, um, but have had to nix those. So I start get, I do start going a little stir crazy. So something that I can do is to say Skype with friends, right? Do do an online hangout. It's not as good as in person, but you know what? It gets me to see their face. My, my brain goes, oh, I'm interacting with a person live. This is great. Um, watching YouTube videos is nowhere near the same. I think that interaction is what's super important. Um, but also, don't, don't neglect physical health, right? Um, if you can go out for a run, if you're able to, you know, keep your social distancing, but go out for a run. Do some um, home body weight exercises. You know, maintain your physical health. Um, I think you're going to find that with close access to your kitchen and the ability to just lie down on your couch with your laptop is going to be super tempting. Um, and you find that, you know, when I worked in an office, I find that I was walking, I found that I was walking around a lot. Um, and you do, you walk around a lot as a person, just even in an office job. So just, I would say, keep that in mind. Um, keep your physical health up and make sure you get some type of social interaction, right? Absolutely. Now, let me ask you this. I got an email. So there's a company that does promotions. They're always giving out like 20% off, 10% off, 15% off. They're constantly sending these emails. And um, I got one email from them that's just like every other email they've sent. But at the very top, they said, you know, in these times, it's important, you know, to be calm. Here's 20% off our product. But it was basically like, if it were Memorial Day, they would say, Happy Memorial Day, here's 20% off our product. And so I think that's like a pretty poor execution of this. Like, what advice do you have? Like, you're vulnerable in terms of like, you're always putting yourself out there with your content and your videos, you know, and you're, you've got like a very broad surface area. If someone wants to like be mean to you, they have like hundreds of hours of footage they could point to and, and, and make, make fun of you <laughs> if they wanted to. And uh, so like as someone who's like aware of that, aware of sort of being out there, how do you think about that and not just coming across as like, you know, ambulance chasing, you know, or trying to like sell overpriced water because like someone needs it? You know, how do you look at it without sort of being perceived in that way? How do you think about that perception and what you're putting out there? I, I think that particular one that that you that example you gave is is a little bit in poor taste um, in the sense that you're trying to make light of it and you're really not doing anything that's different. And from my perspective, if you're not going to help in in like a real human connection helpful kind of way, just don't do anything at all. Like I don't see any like like I get it. You have to protect your assets, you have to protect your business and you know, you, you can't afford to give out free gym memberships or free classes or whatever it might be, then, then, then don't, right? Or, or at least so, show some connection with, like I said, the bare minimum is an empathetic email going out to everybody from the CEO, <laughs> right? That's, that's bare minimum to show that, like, you are aware of what's going on and you're going to try to be empathetic. That's bare minimum. Do that. But if you're just trying to capitalize it, capitalize on it. I kind of think that's in poor taste. Um, you know, we live in a capitalistic society. So if somebody wants to sell, you know, individual sheets of toilet paper for, you know, $2 a pop, um, I'm not going to be super surprised, but 
I will roll my eyes at it and go, oh, yep, yep, that's that's our society for you. Um, I, as a joke, right? This is this is a complete joke. I I had a box of N95 face masks. Um, I purchased them so I could sand PCBs, and one of the best ways to protect your own respiratory system when you're sanding PCBs is to wear an N95 face mask. And you can't buy one. You buy a whole box. So I just, and I, right, I have one, and I just use that one, but I had this whole box. And I pulled it out, and I sent a picture of it to my brother, and I said, hey, you want to make some money on eBay? Let's sell these at 20 bucks a pop, <laughs> right? This is, I'm not actually going to do that. It's a joke, um, but that's the idea of, like, you know, if, if you're trying to capitalize on that, I think there is a supply and demand curve, and I think it's within our legal rights to do it. I don't necessarily think it's a morally good thing to do. Um, if you're talking about people dying from a disease and people do actually need help and helping helping contain uh, exposure from other people, I think, um, or excuse me, you wear the mask if you think you're sick so that you don't expose other people to the yeah. disease. Yeah. But I want to make sure I get get that right. And I, I don't think it's a great thing to capitalize on that because this is, a, you know, if we're looking at an emergency situation, it's a time that like, hey, we need to band together and help each other. Yep, absolutely. I was reading an article that was talking about like, why do people panic by certain things? And Toilet paper. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I mean, you know, the pictures of the empty shelves are crazy. And so it's like, um, on the one hand, yes, there's like a practical dimension to it. And, and I think what we're dealing with is serious and it is important that people be prepared in general. You know, you want to have food in the pantry, you want to have water just in case. But there's also a psychological dimension to it where it's like, okay, I feel in control. You know, I feel like mm. this is something I can do to prepare because it feels like everything is out of my control. It was a really interesting article and I'm not like an expert on this, but it made a lot of sense to me and it was quoting people who are experts in this area. And... Um, and so, like, okay, well, what does that mean for you as a business? Well, you know, I'm a big believer in, like, institutions and the importance of institutions, sort of broadly speaking, whether that's, like, houses of worship, libraries, schools. And, like, if you're a business owner, you're an institution that has, like, influence in the world around you and in your customers' lives and your employees' lives. And so, you know, we are seeing that people are afraid. And if you can do something that actually matters, like, implement a policy that is consistent with public health practices and is going to make things better like that's your little way of making people like a little more at ease um you know i think i think the gym example is a really good one but i think open hardware summit is a really good one too you know i mean just by saying look like we're gonna step up we're gonna make the tough call on this um it lets everybody like free up their like mental capacity to like think about something else, to think about like their kids or their neighbors or whatever. And so it's like, while no one person has like the answer and no one business has the answer to this, I do think that every business can do something that can help, whether it's a public thing or it's something for your employees. Maybe it's giving employees like time off, even if they're working from home. Maybe say, hey, we're just gonna have, you know, take Friday off to like take care of yourself, go to the store if you need to, whatever. Um, that I think is how founders and business owners should be thinking about this. Like that's the dent that you can make in fighting this thing. Um, and the people who are doing that, I think it's very inspiring. Yeah. As, as people need to help each other. And I think businesses, you know, and sometimes what you can do may not be in the health services industry, right? You know, as, as a business, I, I don't provide testing. I don't provide vaccine development. That's not what I do. But in some small way, like, can I help, you know, maybe can I help people 
be okay being at home for, by themselves, right? And, and it might seem trivial, but if you're providing people with some type of entertainment, education, something that they can do while they're home so that they don't get stir crazy and go outside and spread the virus, whatever it might be, I think that's a good thing, right? You know, if you're giving that away for free, that can help people in a real way. I think so too. And that brings us to, you know, what you were asking about in the beginning, which, you know, I, I really believe is a good thing. And if, you know, you can share some number of, you know, free access to your Arduino classes and that someone's got, you know, a kid at home and they can learn a new skill or, you know, someone's just at home and they get to learn a new skill that maybe they can use at work. Or maybe it's like you said, it, the, the, the end is just being entertained for a little while. Um, that's a good thing, you know, and I think that this is definitely raising people's like consciousness towards, uh, empathy and, uh, towards thinking about other people. And while there are some of these isolated incidents of people, uh, you know, being selfish, um, in general, the response to me seems to be like pretty overwhelming, uh, increase in people being thoughtful towards other people, including businesses, um, and, you know, even government agencies making decisions very quickly that people said were politically impossible, you know, for decades, and then say, oh, turns out that's possible, and we just changed that rule, <laughs> you know. Um, so I think now is the time to, to, be, to be brave as a founder, as a business owner. And just as an aside, if you haven't started your business yet, a lot of great companies are started, you know, when things are uncertain, and if someone loses their job. Um, obviously, you got to pay your bills, and I'm not saying it's good if you're in that position, but know that New companies are formed. There are companies that are pivoting right now into a new line of business that could change the their business forever. Um, there are people who are thinking about the opportunities that are being presented in this change um, that I think it's important to try to think about that and not just be afraid, you know, and be scared. Yeah. Um, and are there specific opportunities that you should be looking for? Um, you know, one that one that I think of is that, you know, we're seeing the market the stock market in general take a nosedive, which is unfortunate for a lot of companies. But, you know, is this an opportunity to look at investing from a personal perspective? And what are some opportunities you see for uh, small businesses that, like you said, you know, you can pivot, but what are some other things that you can say, oh, this, you know, I'm stuck at home and I can either pivot, look for a new business, or is this going to open up new ways for people to develop things? There's a crew out of NYU that's doing a lot of development for helping uh, climate change and CO2 production. And while it's not relevant to coronavirus, um, you know, you know, it's, it's this idea of like, oh, these new things are coming to light that are trying to help stave off some of these other potential global disasters. So what other ideas can you come up with that might help this in the future now that you're living through it and see how the world responds to an outbreak? Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think there are like companies that are specifically positioned for this, you know, OpenTrons is one, they make this open hardware, uh, like open source lab product, uh, which is really interesting. There's another company called uh, Chai, look up the exact name here. But there's a number of companies that are in the open source space that have products that like very specifically can help address this. Um, you may be in one of those businesses, if so, great. Um, but if not, uh, maybe you make another type of product. Maybe you make like a product that supports engineering services or testing and you're seeing, you know, that big picture, this might lead to more distribution or excuse me, more distributed workforces. So, you know, instead of people sharing equipment in a shared lab, maybe you're going to see multiple labs or even people with home labs doing engineering work, hardware engineering work. Uh, maybe that's an opportunity 
uh, for you to figure out sort of home use cases for what your product was being used for, which is like a professional lab environment. Um, you know, and I'm thinking of things that can be used on a desk. I'm not necessarily thinking of like a refrigerator sized, you know, piece of industrial equipment. Um, but basically things are changing. I think we're in a different world now. I think this is a tectonic shift in terms of how things operate. I think it's going to be different for a long time. And what can you do to be part of the solution to help people in this new environment um, get things done and make new products and you know be happy and live better lives? Um, it's important to think about that and not just thinking about washing your hands constantly because there are new problems and they need new solutions and someone's going to do it. So why not you? You know, in addition to washing your hands. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I think now is a better time than any time in the past to get involved in any type of hardware project. I think it's much easier to and cheaper to develop hardware, both electronics and mechanical, right? With the rise of 3D printing, you know, Osh Park can make me boards, like three prototype boards super quickly. Um, I can get parts easily from DigiKey. I can, you know, all these like, Adafruit SparkFun allows me to prototype on my desk with pre-made boards and lots of community source code to get me started. I think back in the, you know, I think back to the 80s when, you know, personal computers became a thing and we saw the rise of a lot of, you know, self-made programmers and individuals who could do that. I think we're seeing the rise of a lot of people being able to do hardware from home. Um, you can even do small batch manufacturing from home now. It's really crazy and I think this is a good opportunity you know, if you're stuck at home and looking for something to do and you've always thought about a business, um, now might be, a, like Harris was saying, now might be a good time to start tinkering with some things. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll just kind of finish on uh, just sort of a personal response on what's going on here. You know, one of the most reassuring things that I've been doing is exactly what you were talking about, you know, keeping in touch with your parents every day, uh, keeping in touch with friends and family. Uh, and, you know, yesterday I reached out to the head of my neighborhood association, you know, the, we've got a, a registered neighborhood association for uh, where, where I live in Denver and um, just said, hey, you know, I'm hearing a lot online about people struggling with childcare. I'm hearing a lot online about um, older, uh, you know, senior citizens who are afraid to go to the grocery store because they're, you know, in a high risk population for this uh, disease. And so we reached out and now we're basically coordinating with like the adjacent neighborhood associations and trying to figure out like what resources can we put together. And I was checking the mail and I noticed my neighbor had come home from work next to me. And, you know, he and I just talked for like five minutes. I was like, Hey, how you guys doing? What's going on? Because I, you know, I, I think there's this tendency to like sort of look outside your window and like, is everything okay? What's going on out there? And just sort of being afraid and talking to him and, and talking to the neighborhood association folks and getting moving on just like very practically helping with people who are like immediately outside of my door while also following obviously all the practices around being safe. Um, it was very reassuring, you know, I think between like taking care of that immediate vicinity and then doing some bigger picture things that are, uh, you know, helping clients, those two things have been very meaningful. Um, so I would really encourage people to think about that for me, like personally, in terms of my personal anxiety, uh, that has, those things have been the things that have made me feel like just kind of like literally breathe easier and fall to sleep easier and just kind of like unwind a little bit. Cause I've been, I've been pretty wound up. I'll be honest. No, it's good to know. Um, I hope, yeah, I'm glad that you are feeling better, uh, at least on the upswing of that. And I think you're right. I think, you know, making sure you still connect with family and community members, um, you know, in as a safe way as you possibly can, I think is a very good point and good advice. 
Yeah, and take care of the bills. It's stressful. You know, I think there may be relief coming when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, various forms of student loan debt or mortgages and other bills. You know, I don't know what that's going to look like. You got to take care of, you know, that side of things unless or until there's like more decisive action. And I think if you're a business and you have payroll, thinking about loans, thinking about other ways to kind of get creative, um, I do think this is going to be not a matter of week, uh, not a matter of days. I think at least a matter of weeks. Um, and we've got, you know, the end of March is coming up, more payrolls, mortgages are due, lots of bills are going to be due at the end of the month. Um, so I think it's serious and we got to think about, got to think about yourself on, on the business level as well. Um, but you know, this too will pass. And I think there's just a lot of different areas and ways to, to focus on energy and don't just like wash your hands and watch Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Everybody, please stay safe. Do, do practice good social distancing. And uh, yeah, do wash your hands. And please stop hoarding toilet paper. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and share the show. Let us know what you think on Twitter at HelloBlinkShow. Find show notes at HelloBlinkShow.com. The Hello Blink Show is shared under a CC by 4.0 license by Skull Riza LLC and Kenny Consulting Group LLC. The intro and outro music is Routine by Amin Maxwell and is shared under a CC BY 3.0 license. This song can be found at soundcloud.com slash Maxwell slash routine. Wow, complete brain fart. <laughs> Maybe it's because you've been eating canned beans for two weeks. Uh, tuna and rice yeah tuna and rice and soy sauce <laughs> from a throne of toilet paper uh, I, uh, I brought my i got my three crates no i did i, I don't i don't get that at all <laughs>